0: To all of you, good evening. Let us do our satsang for tonight. I am in the middle of a long series of commenting on the teachings and words coming from Jesus himself and trying to interpret them from the standpoint of chakras, from the standpoint of yoga, of the principles of yoga to understand this perennial philosophy, to understand that spirituality is one. The principles, the general principles are always the same, and when Jesus talks, a yogi can very well understand what Jesus is saying. So we were in the middle of a chapter I'm I'm following the Gospel of Luke because 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, I made a series where I followed the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And uh, last year, some of the pupils of the school have induced me to continue with the first of the Gospels, which is the Gospel of Luke. Of course, uh, the Gospels tell the same story with different words from different angles. And, of course, all the four Gospels differ from each other because some speak about an event and other ones don't mention that event. Uh, Some describe one event one way and the others show another facet of it. And that's why it's very instructive. And we are in a climactic point because this is one of the things which is remembered about Jesus when he gave the famous speech, the Sermon on the Mount, as it is called in English, where he expressed everything like which are the values, what do we stand for, what do I recommend, how should you live your life, and he did it in the way in which he called it as blessings. He said, blessed are you when this and this, blessed are those who do this, blessed are this and blessed are that. These blessings, this Sermon on the Mount is not mentioned only in the Gospel of Luke, And that's why there there exists a sort of a synthesis of what was said in this gospel, what was said in that gospel, and then the so-called blessings, they are put together, there are nine classical blessings, but actually scholars outline that Jesus mentioned about 11 blessings. In the, the gospel of Luke, there are about seven of them, five, six, seven of them, depending how you look at it. So it's not a complete list, and I'm following the Gospel of Luke. I'm not doing theological things according to the blessings, according to theology or that. And uh, therefore, I'm following this pattern. And as I said from the very beginning, what is very surprising is that Jesus, not so surprisingly actually, puts the whole world upside down. Like whatever people consider to be sad and bad... Jesus says, Blessed are you when this is happening to you. For example, the first blessing here in the Gospel of Luke can be interpreted as, Blessed are those who are poor. Like in the normal world, when you listen to CNN or BBC news, nobody seems to be blessed if they are poor. If they are poor, everybody is decrying the fact that they are poor. But Jesus says, Blessed. If you are poor, because then you don't sell your soul to the devil. You don't sell your soul to the demons of money. You're blessed if you are poor, because you are detached. Because there is nothing for you to be attached of. To be poor simplifies your life formidably. And if you are poor, you don't worry that the stock exchange is going up or down or that there is a... Uh, you know economical crisis or something if the economy goes well, you've got zero if the economy goes bad You've still got zero, you know You are the one person for whom the whole caboodle doesn't matter at all And therefore you can be completely relaxed and wonder why are people throwing themselves out of their windows? Because the stock market has crashed, you know because for me I have nothing I have nothing it is like I'm completely happy either way so, in a similar way, Jesus is looking at things in a radically spiritual way. You can ask yourself, is life like that? Aren't that aren't there some shadings? Of course, there are some nuances, some undertones of these things. But Jesus is always pushing. On the principle, like he goes to the 100%. There is an Arabian proverb which says if you want to trace your path straight, like you go in the desert. And if you want to trace your path straight, how do you trace your path straight in the desert? He said you have to follow a star. He says attach your chariot to a star. Like only the stars allow you to keep the direction constant. But you'll never reach the star. But the star is your direction. So maybe you'll never manage to apply spirituality 100%. Like who was in the history of this planet? How many people, men and women, can we say that they were 100% spiritual? But if they attach their chariot to a star, they were longing for that Perfection. They were aware that perfection does not exist in this world but it's not a problem that you long for perfection although you are mentally healthy enough so that you say okay I know that perfection doesn't exist. Like I know that Ramakrishna or Shankaracharya or even Atina or whoever they probably were not perfect. We don't know about Jesus because Jesus claims he was God but Even if we know that perfection does not exist in actual fact, nevertheless, we try, we strive for perfection. Even Jesus, at some point in his discourses, he goes and says, be perfect as your Father in Heaven is. Of course, he is way too intelligent and way too experienced spiritually, To realize that nobody will be perfect. There will always be some imperfection somewhere. But it's nevertheless the fact that you wish to be perfect. That's a perfectly legitimate desire. Taking it with a pinch of salt. So in this way here Jesus puts things a little bit black and white. Like he says the whole world is leaning on this side. And therefore I, exactly as people practicing some motorbike racing or some yachting, when the boat is leaning on one side and it's about to capsize, you see people leaning on the other side and holding the balance of the whole thing, you know? Jesus is the one who is leaning on that side. He's telling you the whole world is leaning there like nobody wants to be poor or values poverty like a virtue. But he says from a certain standpoint, I can say blessed when you are poor. Another interpretation of this is blessed the poor in spirit, as he says in another gospel. Like blessed the people who are simpletons, a bit, a bit stupid. No? Because he says blessed if you are poor in spirit. Because then you are not tormented by the demons from your mind. The people who are intelligent, they think and think and think and think and think and think and, think and, think, and they cannot have some things very simple. You know, simple. Sometimes the big things are simple. You know, like you can think about if Jesus did that, or like let's stay with Jesus, no, himself. How many people have argued endlessly about Jesus, if Jesus was the real deal or not, or, you know, it's like some simple-minded people, they say, you know what, I'm with Jesus, period. There's nothing to think about, you know, my heart tells me, go in this direction, you know, and all the rest sitting and thinking and splitting the air, if I should do it or not should do it, what would that do, just torment me, just torture me in my mind. So Jesus is blessed when you are poor in spirit because if you took the right direction, you stay on the right direction. And other people say, but this, but that, but bum, but bum, but And you just look at them and you say, you know what? Like I, I can't even listen to you. you know, it's like you are just mentally disturbed. Your mind is taca, 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 taca. And it's like what? Why I'm just simple, I'm just going in my direction, in the way in which I feel. And then then in the next blessings, Jesus again sees I explained. There are two, three meanings in these blessings. Blessed you who are who hunger, who are hungry. Blessed are you who hunger now. But that can refer to being hungry because you are poor socially. Being hungry because you stay with Jesus for three days and three nights and listen to spiritual teachings. But it can refer to people who are fasting. Blessed you who hunger, because maybe today was your fasting day. And that's the best day of the week for you, actually. That's one of the days where you do tapas and a lot of spiritual purification and insight comes to you. Blessed are you, those who hunger, can also come from the fact that you hunger for God. Hunger is a metaphorical thing, it can be taken also in that way. And like this, I've showed you that Jesus shows always the counter side. The world is thinking in a selfish way, in a materialistic way. And I can show you that you can think in the opposite way as well. When you are hungry, you are not sad. You are blessed that you are hungry because you are transforming it into an instrument of spiritual transformation. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I told you even this last time, I commented this one, because weeping has many things. Khalil Gibran, 19 centuries later, when he speaks about love, He says love has tears and if you don't understand the tears of love, you are only 50% developed in your heart chakra. You have not understood what love is. And if you want just a love which is like la 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 la, oh it's so much fun, you are a fool. For example, when you look at the classical Indian movies from the 1950s, 60s, even early 70s, the Bollywood. Everybody knew in the country where I was born when you went to Indian movies They had two characteristics one. They were all of them three hours long while the Hollywood movies were one and a half So they were really long movies two you had to take a handkerchief with you because they would make you cry There was always some tragic aspect happening in those movies, which was simply meant to break your heart so why? Because India is a country that has a lot of anahata, a lot of bhakti, a lot of anahata spiritual history. And when they made movies in Bollywood, they didn't just want to make movies like la 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 la. Oh, they fell in love, John fell in love with Mary and they lived uh, happily ever after. It was This is so much levity, so much superficiality. It's so much not understanding the true nature of the soul, the true nature of love. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are you who weep. No, but this weeping can mean that you have discovered the true nature of love. It's also, as I said last time, this weeping refers to some secret levels in the prayer of the heart. That when you go into the real prayer of the heart, There comes a moment where you start weeping for hours or days. It said, I told you then, that Peter allegedly wept for 30 years non-stop after the episode with Jesus. No, because this weeping is something which comes from the heart and it's a bliss. It's the awakening of the soul, the discovery of Jivatman, as we call it, in yoga. For those of you who studied here in Agama, the Yoga Asana, the famous Yoga Asana, the yoga, the asana of yoga itself. And then he goes on to a real hard one, which applied to many of you as you have gone through some of your bitter choices about Agama. He said, Blessed are you. Again, he addresses people directly and says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. In that time, Jesus, he was the black sheep. The Jews had established religious institution with the Pharisees, with the scribes, with different castes inside the priestly thing. And Jesus is the grain of sand who broke that machinery to a large extent. Like, you know, we are okay. We have been conquered by the Romans. Our king is kissing the ass of the Romans and pays taxes to the Roman emperor. And then we are given peace. And the Romans might even build some aqueducts and some, uh, I don't know, some roads or something you know, they civilized us because to the Romans the Jews were just barbarians in those days, you know, and uh, ultimately if we kiss the ass of the Romans and we pay taxes, they leave us be. As long as there is no disorder in Judea, we are going to live a hundred years happily here and all that. And Jesus is the undesirable hippie. Here comes a hippie called Jesus, And he starts saying, love your enemies, you know, all these. And eventually he seems to show friendship to Romans themselves. And his teaching is going outside to the Gentiles who are considered to be impure and imperfect human beings because they are not chosen by God to represent. You know, like, suddenly, and Jesus now is... The person of discord, there are some people who love him and they say this guy is really great, we never heard anything like this, this man is turning everything upside down, this man is teaching us to do things in another way, and of course the establishment, the the local king, the father of that local king wanted to kill him when he was a baby, and luckily his family ran away to Egypt then now 30 years later when he was not a baby anymore this other king he was not more happy this other king i don't know if it will be after or this in the following of the bible this other king was really angry at john the baptist and put him in prison and eventually had him murdered assassinated and he was not more happy about jesus because jesus was just like john the baptist number two of course in real fact John the Baptist was number two because Jesus was much bigger than John the Baptist. But socially speaking, in terms of the local politics, we barely got rid of John the Baptist and here comes another hippie who is agitating the crowd and talking all sorts of um, tall things and so on. And Jesus says something which even people in Agama in the last nine months They have seen how difficult it was for them to take it. Some people simply broke under the heaviness of this. Jesus says, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Like he said, because of me, people are considering you some cult. That I am possessed by the devil and you are my minions, my mini me, or something like this, and blessed are you. You are blessed, no? He said. And he says, rejoice in that day and yeep, or no, leap with joy, because great is your reward in heaven. This is very difficult to believe. This is exactly where the spiritual fiber of the human being is demonstrated. Like, I met in my life people who tried to fast, and after 15 hours of fasting, they gave up. Because there were people who were very mulatcharistic, very anchored in their body, and fasting brought up like an animalistic fear, They said, but the Swami, I started trembling in my body and what's the big deal? There are people who fasted 40 days, 4-0, 40 days, and you cannot fast 24 hours, 36 hours because your body is shaking? Aren't you curious to know what's happening after it stops shaking? How many days will it be shaking if it started shaking after 15 hours? How long do you think it will go on shaking? Like, don't you have the scientific curiosity to experiment? No, people panic like animals, you know, and they are like, whoa, 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 I cannot. So it's very difficult to believe. Somebody tells you fasting is a purification, fasting is a tapas. In many religions and in yoga, which is not a religion, in many such disciplines, people did some fasting at different times in different rhythms, of course, depending on what their goals were. And then you find people who cannot fast. It's like we were doing vira initiations, and for the vira initiations we gave to the people a five-day fast or a seven-day fast. To do a seven-day, to man. Like you are a man, you want to do your rites of passage, you do a seven-day fast. We had people who dropped out of the rites of passage, they refused to go into the man-thing, because they couldn't fast seven days, they got afraid that they will die. Ayurvedic doctors in India, they used the same trick. They said, before I give you Ayurvedic medicine, you have to fast for five days. And then many people said, no, I cannot. And then the Ayurvedic doctor said, bye-bye, search for another doctor because this is my way of establishing, if you want to get healthy. If you want to get healthy and I tell you fast for five days first, then you do that. If I tell you eat shit and drink piss, you do that. Because I am the one who knows the way to fasting, to healing, and you are the one who is sick and wants to get healthy. So the question is, how much do you actually want to get healthy? It's the same in spirituality. How far would you go? If it would be that people are hating you, would you still do yoga? Or do you like more the appreciation of people than yoga? Sometimes you have to make a choice. The Jewish mystics said it much before Jesus. They said that God behaves like a jealous God. And he wants you to love only him, first him, mostly him. It was said by a British philosopher called Ruskin in the 19th century. He said, if you don't give God the first place in your life, you don't give him any place. Because God can be only the first. Nothing else. You cannot say, first I care about my children, and then I care about God. Your children are way less important than God. It's only your attachment and blindness that makes you see it the other way around. And therefore, in the Jewish prophets, they said, God is jealous. And if you love your children more than God, then God will take your children just to see what are you going to love them. Who are you going to love them? You know, like God God is going to behave. No, of course it's not true. This is a human understanding. It's translating it in a human understanding. You know, it's like you say, if you do something, you're going to sweat. But nobody is explaining to you what is happening with the adenosine 3-phosphate in your cells and the metabolism and the inner burns in the cells, you know. So the Jewish mystics did not explain really what's the relationship with the human being, with the cosmic consciousness. They simply gave some simplified analogies. Doesn't mean that God is jealous. But you can, you could presume and say, what if God is jealous? Oh, then what I did today must have pissed him off really bad no then so it's a way of guiding your behavior it doesn't really explain god it doesn't mean that god is jealous but it's as if you don't understand there is another reason much 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 deeper than jealousy god is completely beyond any jealousy or envy or partiality, because God is me and God is you, and God is her and God is him, and therefore there is no partiality in that. God cannot be partial to a part of his creation as opposite to the other, because he is equally present in every atom of this universe. Therefore it's not about partiality, but it's about your understanding. So the prophets have said, you are not clairvoyant. You don't have a big eye to try to understand the creation of God and the laws and the principles and to try to fathom the cosmic consciousness. So then we are going to explain it to you on Svadhisthana because we know that Svadhisthana you can understand. So put it like this. Presume that God is jealous. And then it's coming like this. Whatever you are going to get attached to God, like a sadistic bastard, is going to hit you exactly there. And it would be like, Ah, you don't love me, you love money. You don't love me, you love family. You don't love me, you love glory and vanity. Of course, God is not jealous. But here, it's a, in yoga, we would say that it's something about aparigraha. It is something about detachment. That as, lo, as soon as you get attached to something, You are stopping your own evolution. There is a hook which holds you back. And then you say, could we we keep it just for another minute? Just for another... Your begging is pathetic and it's worth nothing because in the world of the Divine Consciousness, why postpone it for one minute? Why? Just because you say, I don't feel strong enough to take the challenge. But when suddenly you have a hepatitis or suddenly if you have a cancer or a tuberculosis or if you become, I don't know, sexually impotent or frigid or something, do you, were you prepared for it? Mother Nature doesn't care a bit if you are prepared for it or not. It's exactly like you go to the dentist and then you say, um... Um, can you go ahead in front of me because I'm not prepared? I'm sitting there and shitting my pants because I'm going to the dentist and it's going to hurt. Does the dentist have time for shenanigans like this? No. The dentist could care less. I remember when I was a child, I postponed the dentist a couple of times, then he cut me off the list. He simply said, You don't come to me anymore. I'm another dentist, you know. I'm not dealing with patients who, you know, because he said, I know very well the psychology. You don't come because you're afraid. You know, and you want to postpone it. And it's like, I I don't have time to deal with shit like that. I'm a professional. I have client after client after client after client, and I'm like a machine. I'm doing my job like a machine. Don't have time to deal. Go to a psychologist and sort out your fear if you have fear of the dentist. So, in the same way, it is, we are talking about it here because... (coughs) God wants your love. Again, people say, but why? You are thinking, uh, this is what the Prophet said, explaining theology to the level of Zvadhisthana. Because they, you can't understand it on Ajna because you don't have enough Ajna to understand it with Ajna or with Vishuda or not to mention Sahasrara. And then most of the religion, most of the... You know, when the prophets of Israel, because this is the fiber where you come, they said, Gear, O Israel, the Lord your God is talking to you. Like they were prophets who said, now God is talking through me. Do this, you have to do this. This is the will of God. You know, like Moses told them, these are the Ten Commandments. They come directly from God. You know, it's like you like it or you don't like it, we don't get to vote for them. They are written by God and they are non-negotiable. And this is what God wants you to be, how God wants you to be. No. in that moment, you know, they explain like God is angry, God is jealous, God of course God is not those things. He's way, way beyond. But it appears to the ignorant as it is if it is like that. And that's why the human being on the path to God is subjected to incredible tests that cut attachments. Whenever you have an attachment, People say, how the devil did God get that attachment, you know? Because God rules over the devil and over the whole universe and sees exactly, it's exactly like you have a clothes and you try to take it out and it doesn't come out. And then suddenly you feel a tension here and it's stuck here. You feel where it's stuck. It's very easy to see where things are getting stuck. So in your evolution, suddenly you love money too much or suddenly you love your reputation too much, or suddenly you love, I don't know, your body too much, or suddenly you love your family or somebody in your family too much then your clothes are getting attached there immediately, and God is saying you are not flowing you are not flowing, you are not flowing because you are sticking to that, and if I let you be attached to that, I could as well simply say, sure mind your own business See if I care. No, because the divine consciousness is universal. No, they are, you are less than a grain of dust in this universe, you know. So it's like, sure, if you are not mocking in, then what's the big deal? No, you can always do it in a hundred thousand years from now. And the divine consciousness will still be eternal and happy and fulfilled. So it's not that God um, wants something from you. You actually need it. And unfortunately, the cosmic consciousness is like a river that flows. And the river doesn't stop for anything and anybody. And if you hinder the flow of the river, the river will fight against you and break the blockage. If you got stuck somewhere, the river will sooner or later break that blockage. That's why it's not good to, especially consciously, Keep blockages like to say, ah, it's, I'm very good with yoga. Oh, I love yoga, and I'm nonviolent, and I am truthful, and uh, I control my sexual energy, and I'm practicing yoga every day. Ah, it's true. I'm very greedy when it comes to money. Ah, you know what? Just a little defect. You know, like God can forgive. No, exactly that thing is going to be targeted. That's the fiendish aspect of it. That exactly that, where you are okay, you are okay. And nobody complains about that. And nobody gives you an accolade on your shoulder because you are okay. But exactly where you are not okay, that's the one thing which holds you. And that thing has to be broken. And that's why the divine consciousness, the evolution of the human being, is a very nasty process in a way. Not many people reproached him. You know, there were people who came to Agama, especially this last crisis. They came to Agama to do yoga, to do tantra, and many people suffered. What do you think? You think that I'm Dr. Swami Vivekananda, feel good? You think you are here so that I do like this to you, like to my cats, and I say, oh, you are so nice? You came here to suffer, in case you didn't realize. Because evolution... Is suffering. And Jesus says, you suffer in the beginning and then you are going to be in paradise. That's the way evolution is. I did not decide this. Every time when somebody fights with their ego, it's not going to be nice. It's not because I do something wrong or because Agama does something wrong. It's precisely because Agama does something right that people are confronted with all their limitations and they are confronted with it and that's an excellent sign it means the river is flowing it means people are moving I have met I have read quotes from the Christian saints like in the Greek Philokalia which is a collection of writings of great saints of yore in Christianity and there people say if you are not persecuted by the devil persecuted by the devil you should start getting worried because it means you are not evolving you are not getting close to God and you are not upsetting the demons in the moment when you start getting persecuted smile you are swimming you are producing a chain that shows that you are actually moving ahead only those who don't move ahead Stay in the, as the Italian expression goes, <clears throat> the dolce far niente. No? Dolce far niente means sweet, do nothing. You do nothing and everything is sweet, cozy. Oh, I went to Agama and it was so cozy. It means you did not evolve. It's a sad thing. People, when they start doing hatha yoga, they sweat, they hurt. They get fever in their muscles. They can, And three weeks later, it's like, whoa, I feel much better. I came rotten when I came here. And now, three weeks, six weeks later, I'm flying, you know, because I'm doing Hatha Yoga, and it was not comfortable in the beginning. But then it gets better and better. But then there are other problems, you know. What about this attachment? What about this form of blindness? What about the fact that I'm a selfish person? All my friends say, hey, Walter, you are the most selfish man we have known during our lives. You know, Is that going to float in when I go to a yoga school? Of course I'm going to get punched in the face for being selfish. You know? Not by people, literally speaking. By the angels, I'm going to get punched in the face. And actually, that's a good sign. And that's why, as you can see, Jesus describes here that, hey, your path is not going to be only rose petals. There will be the thorns of the rose as well, hidden somewhere there. So he says, blessed are you when they hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. People hated Buddha. Buddha, there was a king who tried to assassinate Buddha three times. I forgot the two of them, <clears throat> a long time ago I read that history, but one of them was sending a mad elephant. They had an elephant which was in heat, and probably you don't know because you don't live in India and in these places, male elephants, when they are in heat, they are very dangerous. They become extremely violent, and it's a huge, powerful animal, which is super quick, much faster than you'd expect, and it can be really violent, you know? And they got such an elephant chain, and that elephant, especially if it sees another male creature in front of it, it stomps on it, you know? That's how elephants usually kill. They stomp, or they... Break you with the trunk or something, you know. So they released this elephant right in front of the Buddha, relying on the fact that this animal was going to crush Buddha under his feet. And somehow, miraculously, through providential forces, the elephant didn't do it. The elephant stopped and didn't do it. No, but they tried to do it. They tried to assassinate. Like why, Jesus? He's a provocative guy, and he goes around and says you are hypocrites, liars, all of you. You say you love God, but actually you are just some egoistic bastard who just want power and money and glory and this, and all your religion is just a hypocrisy. And like Jesus is really rubbing it in their faces, and he says hookers are better than you. They are going to get closer to God than you. Uh, tax collectors like Matthew, my disciple, are going to get to heaven before of you. And you would, like, Jesus is really going against the grain, you know. He is really irritating people. So you can understand why he resisted only three years and a half. I'm telling you again, if Jesus would come now, they will assassinate him before three years and a half. Unless he comes in glory and they can have nothing to do and then they will start squealing like puppies. No, but, you know, it's like Jesus, but Buddha was not like that. Buddha was much more Ajna Chakra, you know, he simply said, I had a revelation, I saw that there is pain in life, I found a way out of pain, and those of you who want, come in the jungle, come in the forest with me, and meditate, and I will teach you the ethical road to virtue, and the meditation, and this. Like... Buddha was not a very big social reformer. It's true that because of what he did, many people followed him and there came social changes. It's impossible. When Krishna comes, when Buddha comes, when Jesus comes, people change. These people change the world. And of course, the old-fashioned people, they are irritated and provoked by it. But, you know, they, they attacked Buddha. And uh, Jesus says, well, they are going to hate you. There are so many stories, Buddhist monasteries. You know, I take one quoted by Osho Rajneesh in one of his discourses. That uh, the master of the monastery says, I shall, some great sensei, some great Roshi, some of these big Zen masters from Chinese, Korean, Japanese tradition. I forgot where the story came from, maybe Japan. No, he says, I'm going to leave my body soon. And I want to designate my follower. means the next leader of the the next abbot of the monastery. So he says, I'm going to give you a question and you all write the answer and you give it to me. And they all answer to it. And uh, there was one in the monastery who was known like, this guy is probably the next guru. This guy is the next abbot. He was the most developed, practicing spirituality and being okay, you know. And uh, the Guru looks at the answers and he gets to the answer of this guy and he reads, he reads all the answers aloud and so it was not a secret. And he said, he looks at him and he says, no, you are not right, you didn't get it right. No, and so on. So people are like, okay, he didn't get it right, other people didn't get it right, they still don't know what it is. Then the night is coming, they go to bed. And in the night, the guru is coming and knocking at the door of this guy. And he says, you are the only one who answered correctly. You are my disciple. You are my follower. But you don't know that because you meditate so much and because you have achieved so much, the other people in this monastery, they hate you. And if I'm telling this, in a few days you will be assassinated. They will murder you. So I came in the night to tell you that you are the real deal. You have reached true wisdom. Pack your things tonight and go. Yes, man, The most valuable man in the monastery was hated and about to be assassinated. Rumi had a friend, teacher, pupil, Shams al-Tabriz. His own nephew or somebody apparently assassinated him out of jealousy because he was spending all the time of the day with Rumi. Nobody cared. Like, this guy is mostly... If Rumi dies, this guy is going to be the next teacher in our community, or whatever you call it. People hated his gut. If people hated so much this Zen Buddhist monk in his monastery, then why didn't they sit down and do double up the meditation? So say, if this guy got it, I can get it also. No, no. People will not increase their practice. People will not increase their aspiration. People will hate those that have it and try to get them down, try to put them down. Some people have speculated this and they have turned it into a source of humbleness. In one of my lectures on humbleness many, many years ago, I described this case from a Romanian Orthodox Christian monastery. In Orthodox Christianity, if you become a monk or a nun, you are not supposed to do anything, not even prayer or spiritual efforts, fasting, whatever, without a blessing. Like you go to the abbot or to your elder confessor and say, I feel that now Easter is coming. I could do a 40-day fasting to prepare for Easter really well. Fasting like not eating anything, just drinking water. And sometimes the abbot will look at you and will say, this will make you feel so proud that you are the only in the monastery who fasts, you know. And you are going to get the benefit of fasting and you are going to be whole held, hold, held by the devil because you are proud. So what you gain through the fasting, you are going to lose three times over because you are going to be arrogant in your heart and you will have no humbleness." No? So the abbot would say, no, don't fast. Just to keep you humble. You could fast, but don't fast because if you fast, you are going to brag. And even if you don't brag openly, you are going to brag when you look in the mirror. You are going to be proud of yourself and that is the beginning of the disaster. So the abbot, you cannot do anything without the abbot blessing you. Like even when they read, when they eat, everybody is eating and somebody is reading from some spiritual text. And they say, uh, your holiness to the abbot, bless so that I can read. And he said, blessed you be reader. And then he starts reading. Like you don't do anything without a blessing. You don't even bake bread in the kitchen without getting a blessing to bake bread. That's just to make sure that everybody is obedient and humble and they don't start inventing and doing things. <clears throat> and then there was this guy and he suddenly decided that every time when there were Easter, he would do the 40 days of fasting black. He would do black fast, like no food, just water. But he didn't get the blessing. The abbot said no. And then he said, you know what? The angels are singing in my ears. I'm going to do it anyway. This was a clear sign for everybody in the monastery. Like, this guy is going down. No, like, this was really bad. And everybody knew that he was making. And for 10 years, for 20 years, every time when there were Easter, he was fasting, but he got no blessing. And then at some point, the abbot, passed away. And when the abbot passed away, his last confession was this. For 20 years, this guy had his blessing, but only in secret. And outside to the rest of the monastery, they were playing the dumb game that he was a disobedient monk and he was doing just his thing. So that he can be protected from too much praise and too much boasting. Like he did it, And everybody was scoffing at him and saying, yeah, you, the disobedient, yeah, yeah, you have big balls and you are doing fasting. Your fasting is worth zero. Your fasting is worth minus five on the scale of evolution because you are fasting without blessing. But he had the blessing and only he and the abbot knew about it. And everybody treated him like a pariah but he was not a pariah. He was one of the best practitioners in the monastery, but he was keeping it. So that's why I'm telling you all these things to understand and here Jesus is hitting it a very difficult one. Not like, how many times did you skip a meal to do something for God? Blessed are you who hunger now. How many times did you cry for God? Blessed are you who when you weep Because you will laugh. How many of you gave away things and have been generous and lived in some deprivation for God? Like monks, the Buddhist monks, they give everything. They have a robe which doesn't belong to them, which is alms. ounce. No, it's given for free. They have a begging bowl. They go and beg food. If they want to be vegetarian and the villagers give them meat, chicken, they have to eat the chicken with humbleness. Because that's what God gave them. That's what Buddha gave them through synchronicity in the fasting. So, you know, it's a humbleness there. So, to be poor for three months or for 30 years or for 60 years, to be poor, it's all of its spirituality is upside down. What the people don't like, you get. And it becomes your strength. And here is the social one. Would you be doing yoga and these things if you were hated by everybody? I like think of the Christians, the first Christians, they were thrown to the lions. It was such a shame in Rome to be Christian. Christians were considered for 200 years, 300 years. The Christians were the most abominable sick from Rome. And every time when some emperor got a bit schizophrenic and a bit crazy, he punished Christians. You know, it was like 30 years of peace, 30 years of bloodshed, 50 years of peace, another 50 years of bloodshed. It went on like this for 300 years, depending on the temperament of the emperor of the day. And thus, would you do it? I have been in this situation, for example, when in communist Romania, yoga became forbidden. Not in Russia, not in Bulgaria, not in Hungary. There were many communist countries in the Eastern Bloc. It happened only in Romania. Because the dictator of that country, he had some fixed ideas about it. And he was paranoid and he saw it like a threat. And then he said the most simple, how many people do yoga? 300 people in Bucharest or something. We can as well tell them no more yoga. What's the big deal? So he simply gave an edict, a law, a semi-law, an internal law where he said, you cannot do yoga anymore. And if you do, you will be punished severely. That happened in 1982. The Iron Curtain fell in 1989. That was seven years and a half while yoga was forbidden in Romania. My teacher, went into prison one year and a half and it was hard prison, East European prison in the communist days, for doing yoga, for teaching yoga. My best friend went into prison for 49 days and he was lucky, lucky because he got an amnesty. There was a general amnesty and he somehow was included in that amnesty, otherwise he was about to be condemned to prison for one year and a half or something similar. No? Like, people that I have known very closely have done prison for just teaching yoga and gathering people and doing yoga. What was the effect of this? In July or in September 1989, just before the Berlin Wall fell and the revolution came in, in Romania, there were about 20 to 40 people who practiced yoga. That was the community of the people doing yoga. And these people, most of them, had been at least inquired, but most of them had been beaten, tortured, arrested at least once in the previous seven years in this because they were into yoga. So the people who were doing yoga in Romania in those days, and believe me, I lived those days, communism... Seemed like the future of humanity. Like it seemed like indestructible. Nobody, six months before it happened, nobody could predict that communists would fall. Nobody even dared to think it in the communist countries. And therefore, you were in an eternal regime which was keeping you under an iron fist. And if you did yoga, your name would be on a list and you could be arrested, tortured, your house ransacked and so on. And definitely you are on the blacklist of the government for the rest of your life. You could never get a good job. You could never do anything famous because you were stained by this, that you had this incredible stubbornness and effrontery to do yoga when Ceausescu said, no more yoga in my country. So those 20, 30 people, they were diehards. They risked their freedom, their future, their life, everything. And they still did yoga. A year after the Iron Curtain fell down, Romania was full of bioenergotherapeutics, clairvoyants, new age, the whole shit exploded all over the place. And there were a lot of people teaching yoga. And we rightly knew where were you guys one year, two years ago. Like none of you was, you're not even tweeting about yoga. Not by Twitter, tweeting like a bird, you know, chirping. You are not even this much, say, about yoga. And all of you when asked, I knew yoga teacher who said, me, yoga, never. I didn't do yoga and definitely I'm not going to teach yoga ever. Because they wanted peace with the communist regime. No, they gave up, they recanted. No. So that's why I say, Jesus says, will you still love me if people hate you? i had Jewish people in my courses who got baptized Christian. And they said, if my family would know that I got baptized Christian, there would be an absolute riot. They would disinherit me, you know. Maybe one of my brothers would hit me and kill me. You know, it's like, you don't know what it means for us in my family or something this. You know? Like, would you love Jesus so much that even your family and their opinion and your countrymen doesn't matter? How much are you ready to go there? You no, know, Jesus says, blessed when people hate you and talk bad about you and so on. And it's valid with every spiritual path. If you are a Buddhist, would people persecute you? See the movie about Dogen. Dogen is the first patriarch of Zen Buddhism. He imported Zen Buddhism from China. And when Dogen, there is an excellent movie called Zen, which is the biography, the story of Dogen. When Dogen came to Japan, first of all, they beat him and they burned his monastery. The other Buddhist monks, out of jealousy, the other Buddhist monks were drinking, although they were not supposed to be drinking. They were fucking around, although they were supposed to be celibate. And they were practicing a sort of debauch, debauch, defraying Japanese Buddhism. And there comes Dogen, serious, perfect practitioner, like one of the best meditators history has known. There comes Dogen and says, we are going to do this right. Did people convert? Very seldom and only with great, great battle. People hated him and they tried to kill him and they burned down his monastery and they did whatever they could to stop him. Only that, of course, Dogen was unstoppable. Even the notorious Rajneesh. Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who later called himself Osho, he was put in prison in America for some quite dubious accusations. You know, if, if, if a third of what was said there was true, like Rajneesh had done some dirty deeds, if, if a tenth of that was true, and still there were some dirty deeds. FBI, American prison system, crushing him big time. And, and the newspaper journalist interviewed him and he said, how are you? And he said, you can throw me even in hell. You cannot take the paradise out of my heart. So he said, wherever I go, I am who I am. And in my heart, I'm in paradise. So you can make it hard outside for me. Inside, I am on my path and I will not recant. Uh, that's why spiritual people sometimes have this test, that they are tested. Will you continue in spite of all odds until you become a Jedi? You know, until your master comes in the night at your door and says, pack and go. You have done it, congratulations, take it somewhere else, you know. But until you get the confirmation that you can be on your own, and many people drop out many people drop off the path in this way because god is a tricky bastard god is testing you in a lot of ways and it makes you choose jesus at some point he says for my sake brother will sell brother and father will turn against son and people will leave there it has happened it has happened that people no, just because they are Christian and the family turned against them and betrayed them and denounced them to the police and did whatever. No, even in the 20th century under the Communism, there were people who were thrown into gulag prison or even executed because a member of the family or a neighbor said this person is Christian. And in Communism, in some moments under the time of Stalin and others, This was a crime. You would go to prison or you would die for it. So some people have been subjected to this horrendous test. And believe me, it's not easy. It's not easy, not at all. And thus, here Jesus is throwing the cat among the pigeons when he says, blessed are you. It's actually a blessing, but you can't see it as a blessing, you know. I, for example, came from a functional family. I was loved in my family. I was grown up, you know, in the perfect conditions. Not perfect, because there is no perfection, but very good conditions. When I started being vegetarian, my whole family, including mother, father, I was the only child, they turned against me. But not that they turned against me. They turned against me Italian style. Romania is a Latin country and people have Italian temperament. They turned against me violently. My mother was slapping me over the face, was beating me over the face because I was such an imbecile and turning vegetarian. Like I was 19 years old. Not that I was a child having traumas or something. But she was like going bananas. Some demons were coming in her head and made her be so irritated. So, you know, everything, everybody turned against me. Because, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't marry like my cousins did and I wouldn't eat meat and I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't do that. And all I was doing was searching for my salvation. My soul was telling me, search for your salvation. And then I had to choose between yoga and my guru and my mother and father. And uh, I loved them. I didn't have any problem, you know, it's Like I was, as I said, I was coming from a good family. And I had to turn against my parents. I told to my father, you are not my father. God is my father. It's written in the Bible. Jesus has said it, you know. He, was, he didn't enjoy it too much, believe me. No? He loved me. He was very devoted to me. And now a 19-year-old son, he says, I have a guru and you are not my father. And stop trying to impose me what to do and what not to do. Because he was trying by custom, by societal custom in their country. So that's why I say, uh, many people, and I have been there in several such occasions, have to go through this. Huh? People, when I, I have been, you know, last summer I've been going for two months, three months in a bit of a retreat, and when I came back, people say, why did you come back? It's like, what do you expect me to start a business with tailorship? you think I'm going to become a typist, a secretary for some CEO? Like, I'm a yogi, I've always been a yogi, I'm going to be a yogi until I die. If they put me in prison, I'm going to teach yoga in prison. You know, it's as simple as that. That's who I am, that's what I do. It's like, why is why are people surprising, like, you came back after all that scandal? Because that's who I am. No, it's like, what do you want me to do? And I do only one thing, you know, it's like the fact that people hate me or blame me or spit on me doesn't make me be less of a yogi or love Shiva less or teach Tantra less or anything like that. It's like that's not who I am and this in spirituality, I'm sorry to tell you. Maybe it will not be because of Agama. Some people say, yeah, but you in Agama make it happen and... Believe me, sooner or later at some point it's going to happen to you and maybe not even once. Sometimes maybe it's going to happen to you for 20 years non-stop and you are going to wonder like when is this going to end? Believe me, when I was chased by the political police in Romania for 7 years and a half we often asked ourselves will this ever stop or are we going to go the whole life like this? There seemed to be no end in view to it and still we were going on we are still doing what we are doing again don't be uh, afraid because the universe is not pushing you beyond your break point of course everybody would break if they like the obstacles which I had could have been much bigger much more bitter I could have been tortured every day every day for years and years. Maybe I would have broken that. Maybe. Because maybe I'm not that strong. So that's why the universe, or if you prefer God, is not pushing you beyond your break point, but just to where it gets to be like 50-50. Close to the break point. And then you break, or you don't break. And Jesus is calling your attention, saying, well, blessed are you. When people hate you, exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, which means because of God. So, unfortunately, you're going to say, but Swamiji, why is it like this? It is like this because we live in an unholy world, my dear friends. According to yoga and Tibetan, to Indian and Tibetan yogis, we are in what is called Kali Yuga. And Kali Yuga means the worst time of the history of humanity. And this Kali Yuga started about 6,000 years ago at the time of the flood of Noah. The flood of Noah was the last landmark for the start of Kali Yuga. And before that, things were a bit better, but not much. And then before that, things were a bit better, not totally. And then before that, things were really good. That's the golden age, Satya Yuga, followed by the silver age, I'm sorry, Treta Yuga, and the bronze age, Dvapara Yuga, and the iron age, or Kali Yuga, in which we are now. There have been, there are times in the history of the planet Earth where the population is sparse, and very spiritual. I, again, the Shastras of India are super precise about it. They say in the Satya Yuga, men and women were approximately five meters tall, like giants. They lived a thousand years of age. Women didn't need to have sex to get pregnant. They could just look in the eyes of the men and get pregnant by eyesight. So sex did not exist in Satya Yuga was unnecessary because people could have bliss in many other ways. They didn't need to become animals. That's why they say that Jesus was born like the angels, not like the animals, out of mating. Mating came periodically later when the spirits are lower, then people are mating because people become donkeys. But in Satya Yuga, they don't need to. And... Uh, whatever else. If people close their eyes, they could go directly in states of Samadhi. Directly. In states of Samadhi. This is, so there is a time, there was, and it will come back. But that's not that time. That's a bad time. It's exactly like you have a building, the planet Earth is that building, and that building is used in the morning by the Academy of Science, they have a meeting of the academicians, and in the evening at some point, it's used by the penitentiary, by the nearby penitentiary, for educating the detainees. It's the same school, but in the morning you have people with a super high IQ, and really refined people, members of the academy, people who live in high spheres, and in the evening you have common criminals thieves and rapists and murderers who came there to learn something in the same school as the planet Earth. But the spirits which are incarnated on the planet Earth are not equal from millennium to millennium. And in the last 6,000 years, this planet was inhabited by very low spirit. Like, what better proof do you want that there comes a man like Jesus? You can really say, you know, Say one thing which Jesus said wrong. Show one thing which Jesus did wrong. You know, the British, they even organized, I think, in the 19th century or something, in the Victorian times, they made again the trial of Jesus. They retried Jesus just to demonstrate that this man was not guilty. And the Pontius Pilate, the Roman procurator who condemned him to crucifixion, was an asshole. You know, they simply said, let's see how would a judge today react to Jesus. And they simply rejudged him by his own words and by everything. And of course the judge said, This man is perfect. This man is not guilty of anything. This man did not commit any crime identifiable by any code of laws anywhere. No. Still they crucified him. When Jesus comes to save humanity from its shit and people put him on a cross, then that's Kali Yuga. But people didn't crucify Jesus. People tortured Francis of Assisi. People killed Shams al-Tabriz. People killed, uh, what was his name, Mansur, a great Sufi mystic. Uh, People killed Ali, the nephew of the prophet Muhammad. People killed 11 of the 12 apostles of Jesus. Only John didn't get assassinated. All the other 11, from Andrew to Philip and from Thomas to Peter, all of them got assassinated. In every religion, in every place, great spiritual people got persecuted, assassinated, banned, banished, exiled, and so on, you know? This can happen only in the world which is dominated by other forces. People don't like to hear me talking about the demonic forces and so on, because they feel that there is, in Romania, we say, you have a fly on your head, which means you are it, you know. Many people say, oh, but if this is true, then this and that. But even Jesus in the Bible, when he speaks about the devil, he calls the devil by a very strange name. He says, the prince of this world. Princeps, who use mundi in Latin. The devil is the prince of this world. And is the will of God done? No, we pray. We say, may thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because on earth it is not done. We pray that it should be done. If the will of God would be done, a lot of abominations would not exist. Demons like Mao Zedong, they could not rule nations. It would be impossible. Mass murderers like Stalin could not be worshipped by the masses. When Stalin died, my mother, who was a 15-year-old student in school, she cried. She cried, my mother cried that Comrade Stalin had died in Russia. The father of all the communistic. He was a fucking murderer. He was a bastard. He was a maniac. He was a psychopathic murderer. And people worshipped him like he was God. Many people didn't die, didn't cry for Jesus, but they cried for Stalin, for God's sake. Like What world is this one in which we live? What world is this? No. So that's why uh, people find it difficult to understand. But this is a world in which people are, the spiritual people are persecuted. Not in Satya Yuga, but now in Kali Yuga in the last thousands of years. It happened all over the Jewish religion. And Jesus himself says, rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, which is very difficult, believe me, when you are kicked in the ass to leap for joy. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Hey, maybe you don't know history, and you should read some Jewish history. Many prophets were persecuted, beaten, exiled, and some of them killed. Not only Jesus, Jesus is not the first that he was. The Jews... The priests, the institution, they were manipulistically very happy with themselves. And they said, "Why do we need John the Baptist? John the Baptist, kill him, give him to the king to behead him. Like, we don't need. He's a grain of sand in the clockwork machinery. Our society is such a nicely oiled machinery. And now we need John the Baptist. He's a nuisance. He's a pain in the neck. Have him eliminated. No, it's not the first. Jesus was not the first. And I'm telling you, it happened again and again after Jesus, and it happened also before Jesus. It happened with a gentle Buddha. Buddha, the apostle of non-violence and of karma, and of not harming anybody, even animals, they wanted even to assassinate him. Why would you want to assassinate Buddha? Because he's stepping on your nerves. Because you are possessed by the demons and things are getting angry. Karl Marx wrote when he wrote something somewhere, I forgot in which book maybe some of you have read Marx, I didn't bother although I came from a communist country, I just have a gist of what he wrote and in one of the places that was very meaningful for me, he said, when I hear the bells of the churches tolling around me in the town, it's like a dark fog descends over my brain and I get angry and I want to break and kill everything I see in Hearing church bells, Christians were going to the church to pray to God, not Karl Marx. Karl Marx wanted to kill somebody and to break something when he heard the bells. Is this the reaction of an angel? Do you think the angels get angry when they hear the church bells? This is showing very clearly that Karl Marx was possessed by demons in his head, and that's why he had such aberrant reactions. And others and others. You know, there were so many others. Some in different ways. For example, I think Freud could not hear anybody talk about death without fainting. He was a Scorpio. He was obsessed with sex and death. And he had developed a new that if people talked about death, he was fainting. And Jung had obtained permission to consult the Vatican Library. Very, 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 very few people are allowed to go in the Vatican Library. You need to be a scientist of a very high order to be given permission to go there. you. The presence of Athanasius makes you really look like how much you actually do. So, of course, people didn't like Athanasius. And they said, he's crazy, he's like, ah, he I can't do that. And somebody came to Athanasius and told him, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And Athanasius told them, go and tell them that I am also against that. Not like your world is fucked up. Not many people are ready to live with that. If you want to be in my neurotic club of Robin Hood, join me, but I can promise you that as the years pass, it's going to get more and more bitter. Not better and better. Until Kali Yuga is finished, this match is going to continue approximately the same way. So, if you are gluttons for punishment, join me. You know, it's like we are going, we are sailing in the good direction. Enough of that. Thank you all. See you.